Hey, it's John from CityCast. If you're in the mood to pamper yourself a little bit this week while supporting cruelty-free products, you should check out Bone Cur Home and Wellness. It's the best place in Portland to find everything from chic home decor to cannabis accessories. They've got a curated collection of vegan and cruelty-free home goods and wellness products because their name is French for kind heart, after all. You'll get a 20% discount on your first order when you sign up for emails this week at boncoeur.net. That's B-O-N-C-O-E-U-R.net. And use the code BONCOEURCITYCAST20. It's been over 100 years since sea otters lived on the Oregon coast, but there's a new effort to reintroduce them, and experts say it's not only viable, it could have a huge positive impact on our region's marine ecosystem. So today on CityCast Portland, we're talking with science journalist Aaron Ross about why we should all be excited for the return of the Oregon sea otter. It's Monday, August 14th. I'm Claudia Meza, and this is what Portland's talking about. what are we going to be doing about these sea otters? Like, how are we getting rid of them? I've heard that they completely took over downtown. Yeah, I don't really know what to do about them either. But, you know, they've been pretty ravenous. They're known for, like, eating surfboards and just (laughs) messing stuff up. So (laughs) I hope Julia updated you to our new framing. Portland's new enemy, the sea otter. (laughs) Did you hear about the, the sea otter in Santa Cruz? The one that keeps knocking people off to surf? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Could you imagine that, but with like stand up paddle boards on the Willamette? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> well, for those of us who aren't otterheads, can you just tell us a little bit about the sea otter? Like from the little I've gathered uh, through the Oregon Zoo and their social media, all I know is that they masturbate and play basketball. <laughs> River otters are like known for juggling rocks. This is a thing that river otters just do in the wild on their own. So. That's where my brain goes when I think like otters playing sports. Yeah. I mean, I don't know if you remember, I forget the name of the otter who passed away, but the Oregon Zoo did this beautiful uh, eulogy. It says, Oregon Zoo otter known for slam dunking and self-pleasuring dies at age 20. (laughs) Oh, buddy. 20 is a really long time for a sea otter. That's pretty good. Yeah. Eddie the sea otter. And, and there's a bunch of videos and it just says sea otter hoop dreams. And it's just him just dunking and dunking over and over <laughs> again. And then, uh, you know, some other footage. Yeah. I mean, impressive for sure. Uh, yeah. Sea otters are kind of known for being horn dogs. That is a, <laughs> a bit of a thing. Um, and they're, I mean, I guess like people kind of know them as like these like very fluffy, precious animals. They like hold hands and float together on rafts and like they wrap their babies up in kelp and they're they're literally the fluffiest animal on the planet like scientifically proven that's not my own measure if you were to like make like a little like thick circle with your thumb and forefinger and you put that on your head we have like 850 hairs in that space a beaver has a hundred thousand hairs per square inch in that same little circle so that's already like way fluffier than us And then sea otters have a million hairs in that little inch. So literally the fluffiest animals on the planet. They're also like pretty mean. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) They're pretty terrible. Um, They're known for like drowning baby harbor seals. So they're kind of this like 
Why are we? Why do we want them back in our coast? This sounds awful, Aaron. But they're cute, and you know okay. we don't normally see them drown the harbor seals. So what if we just distract them with a bunch of like those little uh, basketball hoops that we usually have over trash cans? Yeah, and maybe they can aim their aggression towards that, just dunking just like, on each other, punting the babies through the hoops. I'm sorry, that's, <laughs> that's, really dark. that's terrible. But they are like they're incredibly smart. They're related to weasels, and they're really important parts of the ecosystem but because they're so fluffy we almost killed all of them in like the 1800s and early 1900s for pelts and stuff for pelts yeah at one point there were only 2,000 sea otters left in the whole world and this is a species that like they go from like japan all the way around across the arctic down to baja california and there were only about 2,000 left wow yeah things humans are good at (sighs) yeah Specifically, one type of human. So, what's going on with efforts to reintroduce sea otters to the Oregon coast? Sorry, Aaron, to recover from that. It's fine. It's fine. Um, yeah. So, this has been something that's been talked about for a really long time. The movement to bring them back was initially started by David Hatch, who's a member of the Silets tribe, and he unfortunately passed away a few years ago. Um, but he created this entire network of people like lawyers and environmentalists and ecologists and members of different tribes working to bring the sea otters back to the Oregon coast called the Alaka Alliance. Mm. And they managed to get Congress to issue a mandate demanding that U.S. Fish and Wildlife Services look into releasing otters. So this is like a congressionally mandated thing. It's not locked in, but Mm -hmm. the balls are rolling and it's like coming from the very top. I heard uh, that there was a big push to reintroduce the sea otter back in the 1970s, but it failed. Like, what's what makes it different this time around? Um, like, starting in, I think, 1970 and 1971, they released 93 otters in Oregon and 59 in Washington. The ones in Oregon, right from the start, a bunch disappeared. Mm. And then they had, like, 17 recorded pups, but by 1981, there was only one left, and he died from disease. Mm. And They didn't really know what happened right away, but since then, we've tried to reintroduce otters in other areas. So, like, in 1969, sea otters were moved 50 miles to the north from where they already were because they were destroying the shellfish fishery. And uh, they just went home. They just went 50 miles right back home. And then another time, they tried to move them to uh, a place that was 200 miles away. And the otters just went home again. (laughs) Like, they just have this really incredible homing instinct. And to think, like, you're an animal that usually in its life doesn't travel more than 20 miles from where they're born. And Mm -hmm. these otters are going, you know, 200, 300 miles back to where they came from. So there's kind of this question of, like, will the otters just go home again? Because we know they had enough food and we know they had a good habitat. But there's one really cool otter reintroduction program that uh, it looks like we might be a part of if we do reintroduce otters here. And it's through the Monterey Bay Aquarium. And what they do is um, sea otters, like raising a baby is a lot of work. And sea otters Mm -hmm. kind of live their lives on like the brink of starvation. They have to eat like 30% of their body weight a day because the water's really cold and they don't have Mm -hmm. blubber. So they have to like have really high metabolisms to keep warm. And so sometimes they just abandon the pups or like a male like separates the mom from the pups or the female gets eaten by a shark. And so there's a lot of these orphan pups. And so what the Monterey Bay Aquarium has started doing is they take the otters, and usually captive reared animals can't be re-released. But what they do is they have, like, otter foster moms that live at the aquarium, and they give them these otter babies, and they raise them. Aww. Yeah. And it turns out that these otters that are reared by these, like, foster aquarium otters do really well when they're re-released, and 
don't try to go home because their home's in aquarium. Right. I've heard about the Monterey Bay uh, Aquarium from Finding Dory. It seems like a cool place. It is. And there's (laughs) a really wonderful documentary called Saving Otter 503 that's about this program. And it's just like one of the most adorable things I've ever seen. You have like first the humans who tried to raise the otters and then they tried like wearing these like big black contraptions to hide that they look like people. You mean otter costumes? Yeah. Tell me they were wearing otter costumes. Oh, my God. Well, first they were like nothing costumes. Oh, to yeah, try yeah. and just look not like people. And then they wore otter costumes and now they just give them they just give them to these moms. I just love that that didn't work. And I have a feeling that whoever suggested that knew it wasn't going to work. They just wanted to wear an otter costume. <laughs> I mean, who wouldn't? All right. Well, let's take a quick break here. And when we return, how bringing back sea otters would change the Oregon coast. Why? Are we trying so hard to reintroduce the sea otter back to the Oregon coasts? Because what I'm hearing is that the the native Oregon otter is gone. And so we're trying to create another habitat for any otters to come through and hang out and, and, and be in our coast. Like what, what kind of impact is it going to have on our ecosystem? Yeah. So I think there's kind of three reasons to do it. Um, you could, okay. We want to do it for the species, for the ecosystem and for the planet. So for the species, Oregon used to have actually two subspecies of otters, the northern population from Alaska and the southern California population. And Oregon was where they met and where Uh. they mixed and where genes moved between the populations. So right now you have these southern California populations and they're descended from maybe 30 otters. Like there was just a little teeny population that they found initially and all of them share all of these ancestors. So there's not a lot of genetic diversity. So there's hope that by like kind of mixing genes, we could maybe help the northern population of otters get a little bit better at living somewhere warm as the climate changes and maybe help the southern otters get some more genes in. I I love thinking of the southern otters as inbred. I don't know why. (laughs) It's just kind of funny. (laughs) Just start dueling banjos. Yeah, I'm just that's what I'm hearing now. I'm just the California otters are just like (laughs) on the surfboard they stole. Um, Well, how about the cost? Like, is this who's paying for all this? Um, it would be the U.S. government, but it's like not very expensive. So they they did an estimate. And this includes like the cost of like rearing otters, like all the habitat surveys and even like oil spills and monitoring. And they're saying like 23 million to 46 million dollars over the course of 13 years. So not a lot at all. And like the benefits that come back, I mean, there's also the ecosystem benefits, which might mm-hmm. be really good for fisheries because otters are what's called a keystone species. So they kind of create the environment that they live in by eating all of these sea urchins and eating all of these shellfish. They allow things like kelp forests to grow, which can mm-hmm. help protect the uh, the coastline from erosion, which is really important with sea level rise and provide really important habitat for like baby animals and just different species. And kelp forests are mostly gone without the otters. And then these kelp forests are also really good at storing carbon. So there's kind of this intangible economic benefit that you get from having a kelp forest because they grow faster than the rainforest does. We store more carbon in kelp forests and grass beds, the type of habitats that sea otters create, than are stored in the world's forests. So yeah, that's a big deal. Erin, that's, I don't think a lot of people have heard. I mean, I've never heard this at all, but it makes sense because we have more ocean than we have land. Right. And these are things that, you know, they can grow a foot a day. So if you think about like comparing that to, you know, a Douglas fir tree that grows a foot a year, you're 
locking up a lot of carbon that way. So so we do want these otters around is what I'm hearing. Yeah. Most people want them around. But yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Who's anti-otter? Except for for me in the intro. Who's anti-otter? It it depends. Some people in fisheries are kind of concerned because like we said before, like otters eat 30% of their body weight a day. So like that's that's a lot of clams. Like the Oregon Coast Aquarium spends more money feeding their sea otters than they used to spend feeding Keiko the whale. Wow. So they're they eat a lot of food. And there's also some concerns being raised by uh, different tribal groups that are involved in subsistence fishing. Most of those concerns have been voiced from tribes in Washington, where the otters already are, and they're talking about the impacts that they've seen, like losing their Dungeness fishery, um, which is very local, as opposed to like here, you know, the fishery is way offshore, you can move around, the otters don't go offshore there. It's like in the shallow water in the strait, and then same thing with the red urchin fishery. Um, so some tribal groups have written in and expressed concerns. Others are really enthusiastic. Some fishermen are really concerned. Some fishermen are really enthusiastic. So it's kind of a mixed bag, but it seems mostly in favor. Yeah, I was going to ask about that because I was thinking about, I didn't know what they ate and I was thinking about salmon specifically. And I know that we're already super low on salmon in our region here and it's affecting everything, including whales and all that. Yeah. Uh, So I was like, well, we don't really need that. But I... But they don't eat fish. Yeah, yeah. I was like, urchin, clams. Yeah. They're not eating oysters, are they? Are they eating my oysters? No, they oysters? do eat oysters, and that is a concern. Oh, I don't want them. Yeah, they're gone. Oyster fisheries. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I heard about the oysters. <laughs> that City Cast Portland endorses oysters. <laughs> yeah, um, <they're- laughs> although some of the locations that they're looking at putting them in, like Yaquina Bay has a big oyster fishery, and the oyster fishermen there are pretty into otters coming in too because they can bring in a lot of tourist dollars. So like Mm. you might lose some oysters, but maybe you make a lot more sales at like your oyster shop. Yeah. So why do you think reintroducing otters on our coast should be important to Portlanders specifically? Like, why are we talking about this? I think there's something very charismatic and like kind of intangible about otters, like this benefit that we can't really get. Cause like we've talked about climate change and like the ecosystem benefits, but, um, the U.S. Fish and Wildlife Service had uh, these, like, they said they were going to be town halls, but they weren't really town halls. They were more like, let's come talk about how cool otters are meetings up and down the coast. <laughs> it really felt like a victory lap. And um, they had people do this activity where you just, like, thought of your favorite place on the coast, like a place that's special to you for some reason. And then they didn't ask you to think if it was good or bad. Just, like, think about how otters being there would change it. And, like, I got really emotional. Like, a lot of people got kind of emotional just... Seeing something that was there for thousands and thousands and thousands of years and has been gone for a hundred years come back, there's a lot of feelings in that. And I mean, we live in Portland because it's close to the sea and it's close Mm -hmm. to the mountains. And so even though we don't live there, like these are places that we care about a lot. Well, Erin, thank you so much for the reporting you're doing on this and for going to all those meetings for us uh, (laughs) because they sound fun. I read the 200-page um, report on otter feasibility. <laughs> Yay. Well, I appreciate all the time that you've put into this, and I hope that uh, you come back and tell us more cool stuff. I would love to. And now for your microdose of news. A record number of six inmates have died in Multnomah County jails in a three-month period. Sheriff Nicole Morrissey O'Donnell announced two outside reviews to study jail policies and the county's own investigation into the deaths. 
and Governor Tina Kotek revoked five commutations that her predecessor, Governor Kate Brown, signed. Those include someone who was convicted of murder and left the state in violation of his parole agreement, as well as the man suspected of murdering four women in the Portland area. For even more local news and events, sign up for our daily newsletter, Hey Portland. We'll throw a link in the show notes. That's all for today here on CityCast Portland. Thank you so much for listening. If you enjoyed the show, please share it with a friend, rate, or leave us a good review. It really does help us out. We'll be back tomorrow morning with more from around the city. Until then, see you at Slims. <laughs>